G'day, my name's Martin Murray and you're listening to the In The Paddock podcast, where we talk all things farming. G'day guys, just thought I'd jump in here at the start and just say a couple of things. Today we're just going to do a bit of a repeat from the vault, uh, talking about the use of drones in ag and where they have a fit. Got a couple of new interviews coming up, a few people lined up, a few that have uh, slipped through the net and we're going to chase them down. But I've had a couple of people reach out to me, ask to come on the podcast, which is brilliant. Really chuffed about that. Really, really just, yeah, just excited. It it's, just feels great to have people reach out to you. Um, so we'll get them on soon enough. But until then, let's hear from Meg about drones in ag. G'day and welcome to the podcast. Today we've got Meg Camaro talking all things drones, including what's available who's using them and where they're using them, along with what industries are really driving the charge with their uptake and how they can fit into both cropping and livestock industries. We also touch a bit on legislation and where things are going in the future. It's a really interesting topic. Highly recommend you stick around and have a listen. Also, if you want to know a bit more about drones or are thinking of getting one yourself, check out Meg's business, Fly the Farm. I've linked to it in the show notes below. So let's hook in. G'day, so today we've got Meg Camaro from Fly the Farm with us to talk about drones and agriculture. So Meg, can you just start by telling us a bit about yourself, your background, your farm and your business and how it all links together? Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, my whole working life has been involved in agriculture. I grew up on a beef cattle property in the central Burnett. Um, I went to Dolby Ag College and yeah, since since then, um, that, that's where I met my husband and got involved in the cotton industry. And, um, yeah, since then, um, yeah, just, I just maintained my connections with ag. And I, you know, have always known that's where I wanted to work. Uh, so back in 2016, um, I was involved in the Australian Summer Grains Conference and we brought over a fellow by the name of Chad Colby um, through the Grains Research Foundation Limited to the conference to, to speak about drones. It was at that point when drones were becoming a, a lot more popular and we couldn't get anyone to sell drones at the conference. You know, there was no, no, no retailers out there who wanted to come along and, and, you know, sell drones to farmers at the conference. And I said in frustration to, um, to Chad, well, maybe I should go into selling drones. You know, this is just ridiculous. And he said, yeah, well, maybe you should. So he helped me get set up. Uh, to do that. So that's kind of where it started back in April 2016. Uh, and yes, from then have just, yeah, gone on, I guess I've always had the interest in technology as well. So that's, it's been a bit of a combination of the two things that I really enjoy doing, you know, ag and technology. Uh, so you yeah, were based on a grain farm at uh, Bonjean uh, or Norwin on the, in the Darling Downs. So about 60 kilometres west of Toowoomba. Um, it was my husband's family farm up until 2013 when they retired and sold the farm and the home block was sold to a cousin because, you know, that's how it rolls in, <laughs> in some areas, uh, which is really, really good. My husband went away and worked in the aerial spraying industry for five years and he came back oh, nearly two and a half years ago onto the farm working for his cousins. So we've been able to maintain that connection, uh, stay living in our own house and things like that. So, yeah, it's been... Um, yeah, it's been really good, and it being based on a farm as a as a person selling drones into agriculture is really helpful. Um, a, you know, we've got heaps of space to be able to fly, uh, but also, you know, if 
if we're testing out new technology, then, you know, most of the time we have, we have crop in the ground, although, you know, obviously everyone's struggled the last few years uh, with dry weather, but yeah, so it is, that's uh, kind of what I do. So yeah, I really only deal with agriculture. That's where I guess my skill set is. So yeah. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, your husband was an ag pilot or was just working? No, he uh, just, he was, well, yeah, he was great, uh, grand operations. He was operations manager. Um, yeah, so just dealing with the ground side of things, which was nice and safe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I oh, yeah, have, yeah, have a lot of respect. And you know, I guess one of my big focuses is drone spraying. And I guess that has come from, you know, our interest in, in the plains and, um, you know, I guess a lot of farmers have had, have, have experienced spray drift before onto crops. So I guess I am rather particular when it comes to making sure that the right thing is done. Um, yeah. With, with drone spraying. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I just, I just thought it might've been an interesting overlap and could have got a bit of insight there from that um, whole aerial applicator point of view. So, we, I guess being on a yeah. farm's fairly handy. You're able to field test really anything you want to take to market. Um, so what, what sort of role have you seen drones playing in agriculture and where has that uptake been? Yeah, look, I mean, and you'd understand, I mean, uptake of any agriculture, uh, any technology into agriculture is, is a pretty tough game. Um, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, big talking stories out there of, you know, my technology can do this, but, you know, unless farmers can see a profitable or productivity outcome, they, they are really hesitant to, um, to uptake that to any kind of technology and drones are no different. Um, there's, you know, they are slowly gaining in popularity, but I wouldn't say that there's been a ginormous leap uh, into, you know, into people bringing drones onto farms. Um, it's funny, I, I think just out of the farmers I deal with, I think most of them would have a drone, but other than a tax mm. deduction, that's probably about where the, you know, their usefulness day-to-day -day has ended. It's, um, yeah, they're, they're probably not yeah, utilised the way they could be. No, and, yeah, I, I agree. You know, they, they can, yeah, they can see that, they, you know, to have a look at things, you know, visually via the air is great, but they've not taken that next step and, you know, it's really because there hasn't been that, um, uh, the technology available for them to say, right, well, if I go out and take some imagery with a drone, you know, uh, can I go and put that in my sprayer? Um, at, to this point, there really hasn't been an easy way of doing that. And I think, you know, it is, it is changing. You know, there are a few places out there. I know you, um, University of Southern Queensland are working on, on that and they've got some... <coughs> Sorry, they've got some really good stuff coming through the pipeworks. Um, uh, I know they, at the GRDC updates in Gundawindi earlier in the year, they made a presentation on what they've been working on. Um, but, you know, up until this point, you know, there hasn't been that, you know, really amazing thing that will, you know, grab, grab farmers and say, right, well, I really, really need this. This is really going to save me money or time. Um, you know, probably more in the livestock side of things. You know, people are really starting to, to use it to assist with mustering. Um, so back in oh, July for Farm Safety Week, there was a bit of a push um, of one, far, one grazier up in central Queensland uses drones 
to do mustering. He did all of his mustering for the first time with a, with a drone and not, not bringing choppers in. Um, so yeah, there is slowly, you know, that side of things. And while, you know, there is a technology to do NDVI imagery uh, in cropping, I mean, we're dealing with ginormous acreage, you know, it's, you know, I guess, you know, I'm certainly no proponent of drones of the be all and end all, you know, it's making use of all the technology that's available to you. And that includes satellites. I mean, there's satellites can provide really, really good data. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, drones are, are just a part of what is available to farmers. Yeah, it's funny because I mean, you talked about the difference there between cropping and um, the livestock industry. I mean, I guess I'm mainly in the cropping industry. So that's, that's where I always see, you know, the, the things I come across are all targeted at grains and cotton and that sort of thing. Cause I guess that's where I work. But honestly, I think drones are probably more easily able to integrate into a livestock system purely for that mustering. I mean, um, I don't know, what were they using? Were, were they using fandoms and DJIs or something a bit bigger for that larger mustering? Yeah, that were, um, this guy was just using a Mavic 2 um, yeah. to, to do the mustering. So, and it, you know, it comes back to how your cattle are brought up as well. So if they're handled well when they're young, then they're going to, you know, they'll respond a lot better to to a drone. You know, in, in, you know some of them if they haven't been handled, would get, will get spooked or, um, uh, yeah. Whereas, you know, cattle that have been handled well, will, you know, respond and you can put a bit of pressure on them and they'll move in the right direction instead of just scattering <laughs> like they do sometimes. So yeah. Um, you know, I've had quite a few, I've got one lot, um, of people in the Burnett area who, I mean, the drone goes in the truck before the horses get in the truck of a morning when they go mustering. Like they, it's that crucial to, you know, they've got a, um, a young son, you know, a teenage son, and he obviously flies the drone, but it has become that crucial to them. You know, they can't uh, go without it. They find it really, really helpful. Um, so I guess, you know, the, the livestock side have probably utilised it a little bit more, um, but hopefully, you know, with a bit of stuff coming out that we can get a bit more happening in the, in the broad acre cropping side. Yeah. Yeah. No, cause I, I can't agree completely. It's just, it's an easy fit. Um, using a drone instead of paying 400 bucks an hour for an R22 or even more if they're using a 44 um, or uh, just even in, you know, smaller areas, places where it's a bit risky to take a quad or you don't want to ride a horse. It's a lot simpler. Um, and I've, I've done a little bit of it personally. We've got a, like it, it wasn't big, but we've got a, um, a forage trial site, about a k and a bit behind the shop but it's one of those things where it's a minute to fly the drone over or it was sort of five minutes just to go around and go through gates and all that sort of thing and get to the actual spot we had some cattle on there grazing it and the way it was set up was there were two sections that needed to be grazed the middle we didn't want grazed so we had a little laneway set up and um the cattle hadn't moved through and I just sent the drone over to have a look and I just thought, well, while it's here, I might see if I can poke them through up the laneway and yeah, it worked. I was a bit surprised, but it worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So I, I guess, yeah, that, that's a one spot where it's really easy to integrate drones and make them work for you. Um, so are you seeing much uptake in cropping? I know of a few people that are, like a few growers that are really off their own bat doing NDVI, variable rate urea, that sort of thing, or um, 
in cotton. I mean, not that we've had much of that the last year and a bit. Um, but before that, I know a couple of fellas were going around with variable rate picks, uh, which for the listeners that don't know, picks is a growth regulant you put on cotton. Uh, basically, you're trying to grow a short condensed bush with a lot of fruit, not a large stringy bush with no fruit. And so that's what putting picks on guarantees. Um, yeah, so have you seen much of that or is, yeah, what, what sort of uptakes been going on and what are people trying? Yeah, so uh, in this area where I live, I mean, there hasn't been a huge uptake, <laughs> which is, you know, maybe I need to go out there and push it a bit more. But um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly, you know, th there's that side of things. So the nu nutrition side of thing, you know, picking up, you know, areas that uh, need a bit more of a push or, you know, and the picks thing, like that's a really, really good idea. Um, <clears throat> a lot of, you know, uh, a space that I see where there's, you know, possibility for a bit more work to be done and um, to happen is, you know, a lot of people have these days have, um, have sprayers that have section control. Um, and, you know, like not everyone can go out and just buy a camera sprayer, like a weed it, you know, we're pretty lucky here, we've got to weed it. But, you know, if you've got a section control um, sprayer, then, you know, it would, you know, it, it would be great if you can go out and capture the imagery of a paddock, find out where the weeds are in a fallow and then, you know, push that through into your sprayer to go and spray. So this is where um, the University of Southern Queensland have been doing work and they've actually developed um, a program where you can just fly with a Phantom 4 or a Mavic, just a standard RGB camera, fly over your paddock, they'll pick up um, the weeds that are there and then create a map uh, that you can, you know, a shape file that you can push into your sprayer to um, go out and, and spray. And, you know, the accuracy is they're, they're putting out um, ground control points. So it is really accurate because I think that's, that's a big thing with a lot of this is, um, you know, if you're going to go out and spray a weed at X spot, you want to make sure that your sprayer is going to spray where that weed is because otherwise it's a waste of chemical. Um, so yeah, I think that's really exciting technology and, you know, they've really identified that, um, <coughs> sorry, um, they've really identified that, um, that, you know, a lot of farmers have a standard RGB camera on a drone on their farm already, you know, a Phantom or a Mavic. And that, so utilizing that, that really basic. Just jump in there. Sorry. The RGB camera, that's just your, your normal camera that comes standard. Your standard on camera, your normal camera. Yep. That's in your phone in a regular camera, just RGB is the standard red, green, blue that's in every camera. And so that using that basic technology without having to go out and buy an NDVI camera or anything high tech uh, to be able to go out and capture imagery. I think that is really amazing. Um, and, you know, they've really you know, cottoned on to that, that idea that, you know, farmers do have the technology on farm and they're not making use of it. How can, you know, what can we do to make sure that, you know, they actually can get some value out of what they've already got. Yeah, that's, that's really good because I mean, one of the, I've had, I've heard of that, uh, that, that idea floated a few times at a couple of field days and the, the bit that's always got me, it was always going to be the person from the machinery dealership or some other contractor coming in with the drone, the specialized equipment. And one of the figures that was thrown about was, you know, it was going to be 12 bucks a hectare. 
um, for them to map the paddock. And I'm going, geez, well, at 12 bucks a hectare, you know, depending on the price around it at the time, that's three to four litres. There's not a lot that that's not going to kill as a blanket application. You know, not that would normally do that. You'd be shot if you wrote that on a wreck, but um, just as a comparison. But if you're able to utilise the existing hardware that, as I said earlier, most people have already got, um, that becomes a 10, 15 minute job that the grower can do themselves and saves a lot of time and money. That that's a, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. I'd, <coughs> sorry. Uh, I'd say it'd probably be longer than a 10 to 15 minute job because you're having to fly pretty low to the ground, uh, depending right. on the size, the pixel size, you know, the, the plant size that you wanted to pick up. Obviously, you know, when weeds emerge, you know, the same as anything, they're quite small. So, I mean, it could take still a couple of, you know, and depending on the size of the paddock, you know, or the whole matrix thing, you know, it could take an hour or two to capture. But, you know, if you can do that as a farmer, um, you know, that two whatever hours is a pretty big cost saving in, in chemical if you can do it yourself. Um, but if you're having to get in a third party contractor to fly that, then that's, yeah, like you said, when it uh, becomes a little bit more expensive and you might as well do a broad acre application. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, which I guess sort of brings us into the economics of it all. Have have you done much work? Do you know of people doing much work in this space, um, like actually sitting down and crunching the numbers as to how economical um, it is? Can no, no, I don't know if USQ have done that work. Um, I've, yeah, I'm trying to line up a time to go and catch up with them, but it just it was meant to happen today, but now I've got a kid homesick, so... Uh, yeah, but I think that's the important you know, part. You know, again, it comes back to that profitability side of things where, yeah, I mean, that, that's all a part of it. So it needs to be done and hopefully that it's something that they are doing a part of their project. Yeah, no, hopefully they are. But um, I don't know, sadly, just a lot of university projects, the economics seem to get lost, but um, hopefully they've got it covered. Yeah, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you always worry about the money don't get later. Me starting on, don't... Yeah. yeah, look, don't get me started on funding and oh, yeah. oh there's a whole nightmare out there. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I guess the uptake, where, where, where it has been uptake, and are you mainly seeing that from consultants or growers or, um, yeah, what, what's the fit sort of been? Yeah, look, to be honest, I thought that more consultants would be taking it up than what I have personally seen. But by the same token, I mean, that, you know, agros are usually pretty busy uh, as it is. And so, uh, you know, it, I've seen more farmers take on, you know, take up drones and want to have a bit of a play around with it. Um, I mean, there are people out there as well doing third party servicing. So, you know, they will you know, yeah, perhaps help an agronomist um, or several agronomists. And yeah, um, yeah, there, there are, as well as, you know, there are, um, some of the larger merchandising companies who, you know, have started their own drone programs as well. Um, and that's, you know, probably a good fit for those larger organisations who have that capability to have a staff member in a broader region who, who just does drone flying. Um, yeah, and, and providing those services because, you know, you know, you know particularly when it, you know, finally does rain, you know, agronomists are just, flat strap you know just trying to get out and and get through walk through paddocks let alone try and add a drone into that as well so 
Um, I I think drones could be really, really beneficial to them, but it's just the time, you know, they, yeah, they just don't have the time to be capturing that. Unfortunately. I'll, I'll agree to that. It, it would be beneficial, but sometimes you just you're just trying to cover acres. You're in and out, and yeah. you know it's it's only five or ten minutes to you know set up the drone and pack it away. But it it just adds up if you're doing that at every farm, every yeah. paddock. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I really see the yeah, there is a fit for someone yeah people to come in and provide third party services because that we well, yeah that's that can be their core business they can be making sure that their technology is up to date and yeah, I mean, and then they can then be providing those, that data to the agronomist because essentially, you know, the the farmer isn't necessarily making those decisions on, on nutrition. I mean, they're the ones who have to go out and order it and pay for it at the end of the day, but you know, they're relying really heavily on their agronomist to, um, to provide them the right information. And so I, um, I think yeah, there's probably more space for third-party providers to go out and work really closely with one or two agronomists in the area um, and provide data as needed. Yeah, no, I can see a fit for that, definitely. Um, no, that's good. So on the actual hardware side of things, most of the uptake I've seen has been DJI Phantoms or, um, or Mavics uh, or quadcopters. I've always thought, fixed wings would probably make more sense in a broad acre space just because presumably you know, they're more aerodynamic, they could travel faster, they could cover more acres um, and be more efficient. How come we haven't seen that sort of, well, just that technology, that uptake? I know Trimble had one there at one stage. I haven't seen it around. Um, yeah, it, the focus just seems to be mainly on quadcopters. Yeah, and I think that's probably because, you know, DJI are, you know, the number one drone manufacturer in the world. Um, and, you know, they, yeah, I mean, the, the products that they supply are really good. But, yeah, fixed-wing drones really are more efficient um, and, you know, for, for the reasons that you covered. So, I mean, there are companies out there, but for whatever reason, um, they probably just don't get as much airtime as what, and that's a really bad pun um, as what, you know, the, the DJI quadcopters do because, you know, they are just so easy to fly. Um, yeah. There are quite a few. Yeah. I was just going to say the, the ones I've seen, the, the fixed wing drones that I've seen are significantly more expensive for some reason too. I just, yeah, yep. I, 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 I yeah. can't understand why I would have thought that'd be simpler to build, simpler to fly or if not the same, but, yeah. Yeah, and half the time they're only made out of foam anyway, so you have to wonder, you know, where's the where's the money come out of that? So, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I mean that that's something that I can't answer. Is you know, I, I don't know, yeah, why you know people tend to go the quads over the fixed wing. Um, I mean, there's some really cool fixed wings out there, like Wingtra. So it's a vertical, what they call VTOL, vertical takeoff. So it takes off like a quadcopter and then t- converts into a uh, into a fixed wing. Um, and so I, you know, yeah. So usually, you know, fixed wing, you know, like when you come into land, you know, obviously you need a bit more space, not like a quadcopter. Whereas these VTOL ones, you know, being that they take off and land like a quad, you don't need that space. Um, I, I tested a Parrot Disco Pro Ag a few years ago. Gosh, it'd be nearly three years ago. It was when we had corn around the house last and, um, 
that was a bit of a nightmare. I was trying to figure out how to land the darn thing and, you know, come in on the lawn around the house and it ended up 30 metres out in the middle of the corn paddock and then we had to traipse through and try and find out where it was, uh, which was a lot of fun, you know, in summer with snakes and whatnot. Um, so, you know, these VTOL ones, I think, will be the way to go in the future. Um, yeah, there's some other, you know, Sunbirds is another, they've got some uh, fixed wing type. Again, you know, they're not a VTOL, I don't think, but they, um, you know, you can put multispectral cameras into them and they're pretty useful. So, yeah, they definitely are out there. Are they the um, solar-powered one? But for, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they have a few. So, one of their models is solar-powered, which I think is the Phoenix, <clears throat> which, and it's really cool. So, yeah, particularly for um, larger pastoral companies who have to go out and, you know, check water, stock watering points on a pretty regular basis, particularly in summer, they can fly this solar-powered uh, solar powered um, drone, fixed wing drone around and you know, collect, you know, it takes imagery whenever it gets there. And if it detects a water leak or, um, you know, a trough being empty, you know, when it comes back, you, it's, it is quite amazing. And um, yeah, they have, they're doing a bit of work out West in Queensland. Um, yeah. Their stuff is just really amazing, but they do also do, um, you know, smaller, fixed wing drones that aren't solar powered for you know capturing imagery in you know, particularly in crop you know, they can put multi-spectral cameras in them so yeah i um yeah it'll be interesting to see how they they go when the world opens back up again <laughs> yeah yeah no it would be yeah i can't wait for this mm. covid thing to. Just i know they be. still have a pilot oh gosh yeah they still have a pilot based in brisbane but i think the rest of their staff are caught over in france still unfortunately so yeah, oh, I think they can still do a bit over here. Yeah. So they're a French-based company then? So, yeah, they're French. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know a whole lot more about them than that, but I've seen this, um, the Phoenix drone before. They were at um, the 2017 or 2018 World of Drones Congress. Oh, no, I don't even know if it was that. It was another, oh, there was some other ag tech event that happened down in Brisbane and they brought their drone along and, that's quite, that's where I first um, came across them. And I just thought, wow, this is a game changer, you know, particularly for the pastoral industry who, you know, they can just have, they employ somebody who just does water runs. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah, a I've huge that saving as well as safety, you know, not having somebody out in the road and, you know, yeah. And, you know, have it, have a crash. So yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, particularly solar, like we're not short on sunny days. Um, yeah. Yeah, particularly up there, you've got you got guaranteed six months of no cloud cover. So it's um, yeah, yeah, exactly right. That that range yeah. would just be ideal for them. Um, yeah, and it goes I think fifty kilometres from the base from where the, wherever the base station is. Oh, that's incredible. That's good. So yeah, so ho hopefully you got, see a bit more uh, uptake of. I've got a little person here who I'm trying to keep quiet. Sorry. <laughs> right. No, all good. So yeah, other than that, where do you see drones going in the future? Do you think we're, we'll see another spike in uptake, particularly some of those longer range technologies? Yeah, I think, you know, the technology is always developing and, you know, it's, it, it, it can change so quickly. It can be really hard to say what it's going to look like in five years. But yeah, I think, you know, battery life and flight time will increase exponentially hopefully in the next couple of years because i think that's one of our limiting factors is flight time 
Well, it definitely is one of oh, our limiting factors. I agree with that. Um, yeah. As well as uh, changes to, hopefully, we will see some changes to the regulatory environment where, I mean, our other limitation is beyond visual line of sight flying, which we can't currently do unless, you know, you have um, full licensing, um, you know, it, it is, we are kind of limited to what we can do. And that's, you know, it's the number one question when people phone me up looking for a drone, they say, oh, you know, when it floods, you know, I need to get down and check the creek, you know, that's five kilometres over the back. I'm like, well, you know, you're not really allowed to do that. You know, if you go and, you know, you, we've got to follow what CASA say because otherwise we're just going to get hounded. Yeah, that, um, that is something and, we should probably touch on. I mean, you'd, you'd know with your husband's background in aviation and obviously your involvement in the drone industry, I fly recreationally as well. Um, and depending on who you ask, CASA can stand for a couple of things. Um, yeah, how have you found the, uh, the regulations and, um, yeah, but, well, I guess, yeah, how have you found the regulations and what, um, what is changing? I mean, they seem to constantly be changing. Um, I don't know if it's for the better or worse, but, yeah, just what's your take on that? Well, you know, it is what it is. You know, we have regulations and we unfortunately probably just have to abide by them. Um, yeah, I mean, I would like to, yeah. And, yeah, to be honest, the, the drone regulation side of things, you know, I probably don't keep up to date with as much as what I should apart from, you know, fly visual line of sight because, you know, I guess the last thing we want as agriculture is for, you know, someone to be flying their drone four to five Ks away from their house and a plane come over, you know, a spray, a crop dust or whatever you want to call him, come over to go and spray his neighbor, the neighbor's paddock or, and there'd be an incident because, you know, you can't see where your drone is in relation to where the um, plane is. And, you know, if that happens, you know, they are going to come down hard on ag. You know, we, we've already got some, you know, pretty open regulations when it comes to flying drones over our own land. So if you are flying a drone over your own land, you can fly large aircraft without requiring that full licensing procedure, which, you know, commercial operators don't have that uh, capability, you know, capacity to do. And, you know, they probably get a bit cranky with, um, with people involved in ag that we do have, you know, what they don't have. Um, <clears throat> so I just think, you know, we, we do need to be really careful. Um, but I think hopefully as the technology develops, we will get more ability to do beyond visual line of sight, you know, as they bring in, you know, drones connected to 5G or satellite or, you know, whatever they come up with. Um, and then how, you know, how the drone sector and the manned aviation sector work in together when it comes to, um, you know, knowing what's where in, in airspace, then hopefully it will all open up a bit more and, we can, you know, that, that will open things up amazingly. Yeah, well, presumably it wouldn't be too hard to just link them into the transponder network. I mean, you've given a Jones GPS control that already knows where it is in three dimensions. Um, yeah, and most planes, well, I mean, most planes have a transponder. Not all of them can receive where other aircraft are, but if you could link that into, say, the end, NTSB network. I think I've got it right. Um, yeah. AT, um, yeah. NTSB. Yeah. It's so, a, <clears throat> the, the new transponder system. ADSB. Anyway. 
Yeah. Yeah. So some of the more commercial drones actually have ADS-B receivers in them. Yep. So that you will get a notification if there is an aircraft in your vicinity. And yep. I've, you know, I've seen it on, you know, even the Mavic 2 Enterprise, you know, it's uh, not a terribly big drone, but it does have that capability built into it where it will, you know, as long as the plane has that, um, transponder in it that it's sending out its location then the drones will receive but i think it needs to be both ways that it's sending and receiving <clears throat> but you know not all aircraft have adsb manned aircraft have adsb in them so yeah I no, think, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there on on both sides that that is correct <clears throat> i haven't flown in an aircraft yet personally with an adsb transponder and the simple reason is um they're just expensive you We've, you know, a lot of old GA aircraft are probably only worth about 30 grand and it's really hard to tell someone to justify put this $10,000 transponder into your plane. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, that's, that's a whole different discussion. <clears throat> um, probably getting to the end of our <laughs> half hour. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to add? Um, no, not really. I guess, you know, drone, like I said before, drone spraying is something that, is something that I'm working on at the moment with industry. So, you know, we've got some pretty exciting stuff coming through. Uh, already we can, you know, people can go out and get licensing to spray in certain states. So that's, you know, as that um, develops, that will be really, really exciting because I think, um, yeah, I, I think that's really important that we make sure that we've, because, you know, that's the other thing that kind of scares me is, you know, when you have a spray drift issue, what's the first image that comes up? It's of a, of a plane, isn't it? So I, you know, I, I, I don't want that, that photo to be of a plane either, but I definitely don't want it to be of a drone either. So I think um, the industry has been really proactive in identifying that they need to have regulations out there. And, you know, at this stage, they're being afforded the opportunity to self-regulate uh, and you know, or not self-regulate, but create their own regulatory system, uh, similar to what the four A's, do. So um, that's really exciting, and it's a, you know been really interesting to be a, a part of that. So um, I really look forward to seeing how that all develops over the next few years, and being able to um, get a bit more drone spraying off the ground. I'm really bad for puns today. I'm sorry. No, that's all good. That's probably a, like a really interesting emerging um, area. That like yeah. Uh, yeah. Particularly if they had the ability to to sell fill, um, it would really free up a lot of labour. Yeah, we'll get to that point eventually. But yeah, this day, I mean, I, I guess um, there's a lot of concern from a regulation point of view of you know completely autonomous spraying, um, you know, and just the dangers that come with that. So uh, you know that may come eventually, but you know it's still at this stage important to have somebody on the ground overseeing the operation and making sure that it happens safely and that things don't go, you know, that drones don't go outside of their boundary where they're meant to be spraying. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's good. Um, and if anyone wants to buy a drone or get in contact or any of that, uh, how do they get hold of you, Meg? Yeah, sure. So um, they can visit my website, uh, www.flythefarm.com.au. Um, that's got all my contact details on it. Um, otherwise, 0427606983. I'm always happy to have a chat to people who have questions about drones. Um, 
I just, yeah, I, that's the whole reason I got into it is, you know, I, I love dealing with farmers and being able to be a point of contact for all people to come and ask questions um, with, you know, open and honest answers. I mean, if I think that a drone isn't going to fit your needs, then um, yeah, I'll certainly point you in the right direction of what is. So, yeah. No worries. Well, thanks for coming on. No worries. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much.